I'm excited you're here to be part of something truly transformative. It's the Living Lit journey. Living Lit is all about embracing intentional living, igniting your passions, and connecting with a community that's dedicated to blooming brightly, just like the lotus flower in our logo. If you are seeking daily inspiration, authentic connection, and the tools to live each moment with purpose, this is the place for you. Let's support each other in our quest for a more vibrant and meaningful life. With each episode, I will be briefly sharing my insights or I'll have a guest that's sharing their living lit journey. Jump in, share your light, and let's keep each other living lit. Thank you so much for your support. Hope you enjoyed today's show. So with me today, I have Sherry Elliott Yuri. Share. Yes. And uh, I'm so excited about this conversation because I know it's going to be very interesting because you've lived a lot of lives. More than a cat, I would say. More than a cat. <laughs> yeah. So 10, 11, 12 lives. Probably. And still living them. That's right. Living lit. Yep. Living lit. Living lit. That's right. So Sherry and I met last fall at a retreat that I had in Broken Bow, Oklahoma in the mountains. And I knew when she walked through the door that she and I had a lot to talk about. And so I'm super excited. We have been talking about sitting down to do this for a while. Yeah, a few months now. A few months. Now, Sherry has been building a house in, or a resort in Tulum. So she's been in Mexico quite a bit. So I caught her in town, and here we are finally together. Yes. I so I, this will likely be a multiple episode recording because there's just we could we, the, this the conversation's going to go far and wide. Yes. So thank you for joining me today, thank Sherry. Thank you for inviting me. I yes. love the fact that I get to do this. Yes. Let's start with you lived a corporate life. Yes. And while I'm sure that was really good for you at the time, and you've learned a lot golly, you're so far from that corporate life now. And I know it didn't happen immediately. You didn't just wake up one day and go, huh, forget this corporate world. I'm going to do Zentral. Yep. yep. Zentral gal. Yeah, there was a few steps in between. I mm -hmm. actually was the youngest vice president of HR for Snelling Staffing. And it was, I, I'd left the nonprofit world because one of our board members was a Snelling uh, owner. And she said, there's something going on in our HR department that doesn't seem right. And I need you to investigate. Now, did you have education in HR? I do from okay. Canada. Okay. So born and raised in Canada. And when I was 29, I was offered a job in the US by PeopleSoft. And I said, absolutely. So it was a kid, a dog and a map mm -hmm. and me. And we drove across the country mm -hmm. because I wanted to experience the United States. And How I'm old were you? 29 with a nine-year-old. Oh, wow. Yes, ma'am. And a dog. And back then, that was 27 years ago, we did not have GPS. So it was those trip ticks. And I was like, oh, I'm already off my balance because I had a meltdown in Calgary mm -hmm. because I was at the border and realized as I'm declaring myself that I'm coming to the U.S. that I was really changing my entire life. Mm. We may have spoke the same language, so to speak, but everything was different. And I left my family the day mm. before. And I grew up very, very poor. No one in my family had gone to school other than some of them didn't even finish high school. 
I was determined to have a different life. And it didn't stop me. And that day I left. I still have the photo. I weighed 270-some pounds. Oh, wow. And I used to call myself big I boned. say wow because that's so different than you are now. Yeah, it was just that that was that moment. And that was part of my foray into HR and I didn't look back. I was like, Texas is it for me. I love it here. That is so crazy. You go from Canada to Texas yes, with a map, yeah, with a, a map. nine-year-old, and a dog. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. And it was just like, this is my place. I love this. And I went to a, a Dallas Stars game, and I looked around, and I was like, the women here are so beautiful and sparkly. <laughs> and I'll never forget telling my family that. I'm like, they're so gorgeous. And over it's sparkly. Time, it's sparkly. They like all it's had like the all their blades. <laughs> The big rings, the big hair, the big, you know. And I was like, oh, I love this place. And, uh, of course, my nine-year-old didn't have an option, but I absolutely love Texas. And I got to choose where I wanted to live. And Texas was like, had all these opportunities from an HR perspective. Mm -hmm. And they have non-subscribers to the Workers' Comp Act. So it was like I had this voracious need to learn. And so when I ended up in the corporate world, I obviously met some of my very best friends, and we're still friends to this day. And grateful for that. But when the company got sold, the new owner did not have the same belief in how you treat people. Mm. And we were a staffing company. Mm. And she'd never owned a staffing company. And I just decided that I was going to take my package and probably go out on my own. And I was like, if I can do it for 250 some branches, mm-hmm. I could, I got to be able to do this for me. Yeah. Right. I'm like, I got to. I partnered with three men and I started writing my new book, uh, my first book ever, Ties to Tattoos. Ties to Tattoos. I had not heard that one. Nobody else had written a book on the generational gap. And I decided to write it because I saw a need in the workplace. Like, what are the pants doing down to here? Employers would say, what's that shiny thing in their nose? And so I started looking at that. And I had a 16 year old at the time. And she is a millennial. Mm -hmm. And I was like, She's texting all the time. She's not working. What is this? But 15 years ago, that was a big deal. So I, I started writing. I got to tell you, you know, this story was about 15 years ago. I remember one of my daughters went on a job interview. And it was with somebody I knew in town. And, you know, I think it, back, it was kind of a courtesy interview. She needed employment during high school, so it was just a part-time job. Right. And I remember getting that phone call saying your daughter has a nose ring that was a big deal you're laughing and I'm (laughs) laughing now and I'm looking at your nose ring right now (laughs) but it was so unprofessional to have a nose ring like he was so appalled that she would come to an interview with a nose ring exactly and that would have been shocking especially back then now it's like commonplace what you only have one piercing right you know not 20 (laughs) yeah big difference on what they would accept and this was 2010 when I put that book out And we had a huge economic crash. So in my book, in my first edition, I say, oh, we're going to have this war for talent and blah, 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 blah. Everybody's losing jobs. The economy went to crap. And my publisher looked at me and she said, what are you going to do with this book? And I said, well, I don't know. Didn't I pay you a horrible amount of money to get it out in the world? And she said, you've got to start going on TV and speaking about this. And I was like, I'm an introvert, people. 
I'm like, I am great one-on-one. Or I'm an HR person. <laughs> I'm an I'm HR person. Keynote. People. That's it. Just people and paper. That's for me. Not standing on stage. And I did so bad at it the first time I did it that I got a scolding three-page email from the woman who asked me to speak. And I invited all my best girlfriends did who were writers. Did pay, she paid you or free, just asked you? Okay. For free. Okay. So not only did I get a three-page email about how disappointing she was when she watched me on stage, because she thought in person I was dynamic. Uh-huh. But I invited, like, one of my friends was Sandra Yancey, and she's written Chicken Soup for the Soul, one of those editions, and so on. And so not only did I bomb, but I bombed in front of some of the best public speakers oh, no. that I would know of. And so I started licking my wounds and took a few months off, and, and I thought, you know, if I'm really going to do this, and I'm going to require myself to get out of my HR world and stand on this stage because I really believe in this message... Mm-hmm. That our older workforce, our knowledge capital, is walking out the door, and nobody's transferring it to our millennials, mm-hmm. and then they have a problem with millennials. So I'm like, this book is important. I'm not, and that's what helped make it easier for me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't my message. It was the message I was given, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I've had many conversations with God in the universe going, I am not writing this. Mm-hmm. This is just not okay, mm-hmm. but it's never been about my fear. It's been about the message that I was given. Yeah. So yeah. I wrote it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that there's just so much truth and clarity when you understand what your purpose is. Yes. Like if you understand the intention and the purpose, then it's easier. Like the fear just kind of dissipates yeah. because that person, I mean, that purpose totally overshadows the fear. It does. It absolutely Unless does. you allow the fear to paralyze you. Right. Which is unfortunately what happens to so many people. And, mm-hmm. and speaking as a woman, you know, I remember when I first saw my name on the book, I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to know that. What if they don't like it? You know, we can get stuck in what the other fear people of judgment. think. Fear of judgment. Yeah. Fear of being wrong. Fear of failure. Yeah. What if I do it wrong and I've spent all this money? Mm-hmm. What if my message doesn't make sense? And, you know, what if it doesn't resonate? What if I can't get on stage? Well, it turned out I couldn't get on stage at first. So, you know, those were all real fears, but... I was like, if I'm given this message and I don't honor it, what if I never get another message again? Mm-hmm. Right. Like my internal picker, so to speak, is going to be off. Right. And so that's kind of how well, I you start it. losing trust in yourself if yes. you allow that fear to paralyze you. Absolutely. Because you're like, okay, well, I've been given this great message and I can't deliver it. So then you don't trust yourself when you receive a message again. Right. Right. And you wonder, is this really what my calling or did they get confused mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. give it to somebody yeah. else? I'm yeah. like, hold on. Was I just standing too close to the right person that was supposed to that's receive? right. Do we need to separate a little bit? Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, me? Yeah, no. <laughs> but I was writing that book and my three male partners sued me for the rights to the book because I wanted to go out on my own and focus on this book. And so that was my first owning a business experience. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I haven't even finished the book. And so I'd left corporate America, set out to blaze trails. I did all the hiring for Windstar Casino, lived on property for well over a year. So we ended up going through this one-year battle with each other and settling on clients. But of course, I kept the rights to my book. And that made me feel such strength for somebody who was 39 years old, mm-hmm. one year in business, mm-hmm. and I'm being sued for my clients by my three male partners. Mm-hmm. And I have never partnered with another company since that day. And it's 17 yeah. years later. Yeah. Yeah. 
I guess I just don't know how to do it, or it just was the men, but we did not well, come apart well. And now we know each other and we're fine, but what they saw was me bringing in revenue mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a new opportunity for their customers because mm-hmm. they did financial planning and investments. Mm-hmm. And what's one of our biggest investments? Our companies, right? right. And so, and our people. So it was a great partnership, but it wasn't great for me. And I had to honor that voice inside me and say, mm-hmm. these men don't act with integrity. And I have a problem because they were sending the Playboy calendar out on email at Christmas. And they thought that was okay. That and was- I'm like, that's not appropriate. And mm-hmm. I can't be involved in that. Well, and I think, I, I think partnerships sometimes come out of lack of confidence. Mm-hmm. Like you need that person to prop you up. I mean, of course, sometimes it's financial, but sometimes partnerships are just lack of confidence. I can't do it on my own. I need someone to to go with me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't regret one minute because I learned so many valuable lessons after. Mm -hmm. And it gave me an idea of what I wanted my business to look like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's lessons learned. You know, I, I finally have come to a place where I understand things don't happen to me. They happen for me. Because if I look back to everything that I used to feel was done to me, I was the victim, this happened to me, this person did this to me or whatever, then, you know, there's, you don't get the clarity of what did I learn from that? And how could I really see this as just a stepping stone? It helped me to get to the next point of my life. Exactly. Of course, I may have failed again at the next point, but I still learned something else that helped me get to the next point. Exactly. So, all right, after that book, I know you were inspired to write. You've written five. Yeah, yeah, I've done five on my own and then contributed to a couple of really great, what I thought were motivational collaborations with Mm -hmm. other women, like Gratitude and The Power to Heal or something. But my second one, I wrote a year after I married my cosmetic dentist. Mm -hmm. And we were madly in love, so I thought... And I decided that after I lost a very special friend to breast cancer, that she had this life that lit up the room. And that Mm. light inspired me to a point where I wanted to ask other women what having it all meant to them. Mm -hmm. Like if today was your last day, what would you want on your tombstone kind of thinking? Oh, I love it. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. What do you want to be remembered for? Yeah. What does life mean to you? And I got hundreds and hundreds of letters from women and some of them were so dark and so terrible that my publisher and I put them out on my dining room table and we were starting to weed through them and I said I want the message to be positive yes we can overcome so the idea of the book was you can have it all just not all at once was the idea of like let's live in this moment and let's really be grateful for today and then the cover of the book has a woman helping her arm up, which is like reaching up to the next one and her arm down, helping the other woman up. Mm -hmm. So we are that person. Mm -hmm. We are there to help build each other up. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I weaved the message of the book. And one year to the day of my friend Denise's passing, we held a book launch. And I felt so blessed because her husband came and her boys came and their mom made a difference in the world enough to cause me to want to write a book Mm -hmm. with some very ego-driven other women that they got to be in the book, but it was just such a a mishmash. But the message was incredible. And all the profit went to Susan G. Komen. And Mm -hmm. I was so grateful I got to write that book. 
And my What's daughter, the name of that book? You Can Have It All, Just okay. Not All at Once. Okay, so that, okay. And my daughter's in the first chapter sharing her journey and what she felt was my part in it of her drug addiction. Mm. And she wrote me this beautiful letter at one point during that time, and she'd been clean almost seven years. She was given meth when she was in high or in uh, first year college. Mm-hmm. And I could see it, but I couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. And as a good HR person, I knew some of the signs, but I guess I didn't want to see it. And it took That's a very person. It's my, my one and only. And mm-hmm. it took my good friend, April Vaughn, who looked at me and she said, you know, Kirsten's got like nothing on her body. She's so skinny and she's got mess scabs. And I'm like, what, what's that? Mm-hmm. You know, and this was like 18 years ago. And I just started my new business, was writing my book. And I'm like, what do you mean? My daughter is in college, and now you're telling me she's a drug addict? Mm -hmm. And sure enough, she was. was. Mm. So she shares her story in Chapter 1, and it was so beautiful. Unfortunately, not that many years later, about three years later, she started using again. Mm. And then the last chapter of that book, my ex-husband now shared, called it Moments of Grace, How Women Should Live Like Me. I just thought it was so interesting that it wasn't even a year later that he decided that the marriage wasn't worth investing in. Mm -hmm. And now I had a book out Mm -hmm. there in the world Mm -hmm. with my daughter relapsing in the first Mm -hmm. chapter and my husband saying, I'm the bomb, stay married. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now it wasn't my message anymore. So how did that feel like, do you, I mean, you're an authentic person. Yeah. That alignment is really important to you. It is. So did you put the book on the shelf or did you follow through with talking about it and promoting it? It was still your truth. It was my truth in that moment, which is what I found. And because the money from the sale of the book was to go to charity Mm -hmm. and because all those women bravely stood up and shared their story, Mm -hmm. the message was still a great message. It just wasn't my message anymore. You know what I find so interesting and and why I love the living lit message, you know, living with intentions. I mean, like that your intention was still the same intention. Yes. The purpose was still the same, even though circumstances changed during that period of time. It's still truth. It's still intention. It still had its purpose. And if we just go back to those things, like if everything that we do is around being clear and doing it with intention, knowing what the purpose is, the rest of it really doesn't matter because it's still truth. It is. And I tend to find when I follow what the message is and mm-hmm. what my purpose is, I wrote my first book in a year. I wrote that second book in less than a year with all mm-hmm. those other women. Mm-hmm. It's the f- power, ease, and joy in which is. it flows when you're doing it with intention and purpose. Exactly. Whatever it is in life. That is exactly right. Exactly right. And so after I got asked for the divorce, I decided to take some quiet time and I, re- I would not speak on the the you can have it all. It mm-hmm. was out there. It was selling whatever it was selling. And then I decided that I was going to continue my work in the generational space. And I had already kind of started dabbling in the idea that this book still has a strong message, but I don't know that I'm going to be out there just talking about it. And then I kept getting all these women's organizations asking me to talk about it. Mm. And I finally said, yes, let's do that once my divorce was final because he was a fairly popular cosmetic dentist and we had been involved in a lot of different things. So yeah, my personal life was not my personal life. Mm -hmm. 
And I had shared one thing in my book, You Can Have It All, that I thought was my secret from the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And I did not want to share it. Mm -hmm. And I kept getting this nudge, like, hello, hello. And it was like, poke, poke. And the book wasn't quite done. And my, my assistant said, can I add my story? And I'm like, we're almost ready to go to print. And she did. And I realized that it didn't fit anywhere else in the manuscript she needed her own chapter, and that was the space that that prompting I kept getting to share that I had also experienced some type of sexual abuse as a child. Mm-hmm. I had that responsibility. Mm-hmm. She called me essentially on it energetically. Mm-hmm. The universe said, it's time. time. And then I had to think about how I wanted to share it in a way that was honoring, mm-hmm. and it wasn't too blatant. And it, all I said was my childhood innocence was taken away from me, mm-hmm. from a family member. And that was it. Mm-hmm. And because that person's no longer alive, I wasn't causing any issue there either. Mm-hmm. But that's probably been one of the biggest sentences in that mm-hmm. entire book mm-hmm. that I still to this day will get phone calls, emails, something mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. because I shared it so openly. Mm-hmm. And it resonates. When we realize that we all have something that has happened in our childhood yeah. that could change the trajectory of our life if we allow it to, good or bad, Right. if we allow it to. Just the mention, just shining light on that thing is enough to start the healing process. Yes, you know, for so long, I think that we, we run from it because we don't, want light shine shown shone 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 on it yeah yeah but there's just there's just magic it's like the healing process automatically begins as soon as we just say that thing out loud just speak the truth of it yep Absolutely. I think of it like winter. Growing up in Canada, we had winter, right? Four seasons. And then all of a sudden in the spring, things start to grow again. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like new life. Mm-hmm. And why did it grow that way? Because we had sun. We had the right nourishment. Mm-hmm. And it grew. Something new and beautiful grew. On its own. On its own. So when we shine our light and we allow that to come in, it's not always going to be easy. But something even more beautiful mm-hmm. is going to show up for you. Mm-hmm. That's, to me, the just knowing you're following that path, Mm -hmm. whatever your nudging is to know to do that. And I think what's really important is for us to realize we don't have to have control of that whole process. (laughs) No. All we have to do is allow. Yep. Just allow things to happen and don't try controlling it. Yes. I find when I try to control something, it's usually because I have feelings of inadequacy Mm -hmm. or I'm afraid about... Is my reputation, money, whatever it happens to be. If I just take away all that mm-hmm. and I just follow the process, mm-hmm. it always works out. It, it does. It just does. And I think the best way to understand that is to look in retrospect. Yes. Like if you just allow yourself to pause and really reflect on life, you'll notice that the things that happened naturally on their own were the most beautiful processes. When we try to force it and you go, okay, I'm going to do step one, step two, step three, step mm-hmm. three, and or step four. Sometimes we do another step three as well. Sometimes and then we come we back do. at it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but um, there's just so much beauty in just letting things happen as they will and just trusting that they will. Yeah. I, I, I look at it and I go. That's surrender. Yeah, it is surrender. 
It, Total surrender. It's a, it's surrender to the life, just to the life process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I surrender think experiment. You can't put enough bumper pads around yourself mm-hmm. and insulate yourself to not be able to experience life. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, I, I call myself. I used to be a pleasure anorexic, and I said pleasure that once anorexic. to somebody, yeah. and she literally, visibly got just white in the face, and I think she might have been a food anorexic. Right. And she later on told me, she said, I found that, I found it horrifying what you said. And she said, and I found it, it elicited this like intense feeling. And she said, you know why? Because it felt so true. Yeah, right. And I said, I meant it like, I didn't know what it was like to eat food without thinking food was good or bad. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was like to go out and take a vacation without working all the time because I felt like I was never going to have enough mm-hmm. because of growing up in poverty. Mm-hmm. So all of this bad programming from my childhood kept showing or up. just programming. Programming. I know for me, it has happened all throughout my life in mm-hmm. different stages. But I know my food issues. I was told you eat when you're happy and you eat when you're sad. So I knew that's where that came from. I couldn't look at food on my plate and go, this is okay to eat. Mm -hmm. It was either good or bad. Mm -hmm. So I said about the fact that I wanted to change that Mm -hmm. programming and look at it differently. And that's where I started seeing I'm not even present in my life enough to enjoy pleasure. Mm -hmm. Getting a manicure, pedicure, conversation with my daughter, whatever. I just wasn't present enough because I was always worried about what was happening next or could happen next. Mm -hmm. That other shoe, so to speak, up in the sky was going to fall. And what could I do to prepare for it? Mm -hmm. That was kind of how I lived my life up until that point. Mm -hmm. And I realized that wasn't any way to live my life. That's not living. That is not living. That is so closed off with so many bumper pads. Mm -hmm. And I was like, sure, you've insulated yourself from experience from life because I opened myself up and and got married and he broke my heart Mm -hmm. you know that's what happens when you love people whether it's your romantic partner or not we get hurt Mm -hmm. and I realized I was like I not only have I turned the spigot off of getting hurt I thought but I've turned off the faucet from experiencing any joy or pleasure Mm -hmm. in my life Mm -hmm. I was missing out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's the gain in the gap (laughs) So I'm just thinking about all these books that are just, you know, the, the, the surrender experience, fabulous book that Michael, um, can't think of his last name right now. Anyway, it's a, it's a great book about just surrendering to life and allowing life experience to happen and experiment, experiment. Yeah. Yeah, try and, then, it out. and then The Gap and the Gain is another great book of reminding you that the gains are in the gaps. They are. It's the, it's the hardships that you, or it's, life has lived in the gaps. Yep. Yeah, one of my friends I invited to, my PR agent, I invited her to write her story and you can have it all. And she said, Sherry, I'm still in the ditch right now. I don't know that I have anything to offer your readers. And I was like, oh. Oh, on the you contrary, do. you but actually you have a lot more to offer because not all of us are in the ditch right now. And you have a unique perspective of why you're in the ditch. And she, to this day, says, I really wish I would have written my story then because it would have been like a mark. I would have had something to remember it by. And uh, I'll never forget that conversation because I believe we have those moments when we feel like we're in the ditch, whether it's on a daily basis, weekly basis, or based on an experience. Mm-hmm. That's where the gap is. That's mm-hmm. where the learning and the growth is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. 
And those are not always something I would uh, go, yes, I'll enroll in a divorce, thank you, or I'll have this problem or that problem. No, I wouldn't offer and ask for that, but man, I I really enjoy the person I got to grow into afterwards. Afterwards. You know, I think about life, and I'm I'm often reminding myself it's a practice. Mm, Yeah. Life is just a practice. You get up every day and you practice life. Yeah. Yeah. Practice living life. That's right. Hopefully a little better. You don't arrive anywhere. You don't arrive to this perfect life. It's a practice every single day. Yeah. In 2017, I um, decided as a writer, I put this uh, fearless tattoo on my wrist with a cross underneath it. And he forgot to actually put the dot. It was supposed to be fear dot less. With my faith in myself and my higher power, I would fear less. So being my writing hand, that was so important to me. But I look at it now and I'm like, the reason that it was so important in 2017 is because I'd gotten remarried and my whole world got flipped upside down. I was like having to navigate living with another human being and who was from a different culture and so on. It triggered all of this old stuff. Like I was like, I thought I'd figured this out. No, I hadn't figured it out. And I was relearning all over again certain things. And I was like, okay, I need to fear a whole lot less in my life. And this is my outward expression of my reminder to myself. Mm -hmm. Fear less. Yeah, just fear less.